WOLB Baltimore and WERQ FM HD3 Baltimore. The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear on 1010 WOLB are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio One, its sponsors, or advertisers. here to support this bill where y'all at okay and I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood we got there you know we want to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities unlike a lot of these agencies we actually consulted the people in the communities okay and we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms some of them are still out so and what the position says is to, uh, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress. Yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people in, from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the, the 1% interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house, dollar lot program, because the house will be built from the ground up for the individual citizen as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the streets scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to, they straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and don't have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 Young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68 year lady, doesn't have to worry, I gotta get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the, the, the lightning rod in this nation because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses don't tell me that's not by design. We've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let there be no doubt. Justice delayed is justice denied. Oh, Baltimore. Welcome to a new, exciting Special edition of the Call Tyrone Show. And I'm your humble host, Tyrone Boats. And uh, I'm glad you're back uh, for another informative uh, journey. And uh, by the way, I'm going <clears> to <throat> call this show uh, um, A People Who Don't Know Their History Are Destined to Repeat It. Okay? And uh, reason being is uh, <laughs> I was looking at the newspaper, and I'm going to tie it into today's, too. I mean, I know you guys wonder why I always uh, concentrate on what happened in the past, because you learn from the past. A mature individual learns from their mistakes, and uh, a mature society learns from its history, okay? And a mature community learns from their history. So if we don't know that, we can't possibly learn from our mistakes, and we will never improve. So 
I was looking at the paper. It was Friday, and this was the Baltimore Sun, by the way, August the 23rd. And uh, it said, uh, man accused of building $4 million drug empire, drug empire. <laughs> I've seen a picture of a black man on the front of the paper. Now, everybody know we got black drug dealers, okay? Everybody know that. And uh, But I immediately knew that this man ain't bought no $4 million worth of nothing to Baltimore City and, and, and in regards to drugs. Because, as we know, there's plenty of drugs being sold in Baltimore City, but ain't none being grown there, okay? So, <laughs> upon you know further reading, I confirmed what I already knew. Um, so, this gentleman... Uh, uh, four million. Okay, it says here, and this I'm just going to read it from the from the Sun paper. It says, uh, uh, "Paul Alexander built a drug empire in Baltimore that generated more than four million in profits." Prosecutors say, as he and others work with Chinese money launderers. <laughs> okay, I don't see no Chinese on the front of this paper. I see a black man, Chinese money launderers, and uh, possibly a Mexican Mexican drug cartel. I don't see any Mexicans on the front of this paper. I see a black man. Okay? And then the paper goes further because a lot of people think that the, think that the drug uh, business stops at the uh, Baltimore City line. It goes further to say that he um, had a girlfriend in uh, Owings Mills that, laund- that helped launder the money through a barbershop. Okay, so, <laughs> so as a lot of us already know, a lot of the really big drug dealers don't even live in, that, in those communities because nobody wants to live in a community that's dealing drugs. However, they need those communities to sell that product. They need, they need a place where people are terrified to call the police and uh, that's run down pretty much where people from all over <laughs> the, 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 the surrounding counties come to purchase the, their wares as well as city, city residents. So... <clears throat> That the, uh, and, and this is why um, all these buildings we, that we've been tearing down, <laughs> I think they said they tore down 4,000 buildings. Well, has the murder rate gone down? <laughs> That's because the the um, the, the, mur- the, the buildings aren't causing the, the, the murders, all right? And, and uh, in a lot of cases, it's linked to drugs and drug culture. I know we're in denial about that, but um, the stats bear out. And... Um, and uh, we'll go over that later as far as uh, as far as the stats of people that are murdered and, and how the vast majority of people that are murdered um, are, are tied to drug. Not all of them. Not all of them. I wouldn't say that. Not all of them. Eighty four percent of them are involved in criminal activity and the majority of them uh, have arrest records for uh, drug distribution. So uh, and only 30 of them are, are over the age of uh, 50. And we're talking about we got people running around here talking about <laughs> let's call it the National Guard. And um, the other thing that justifies tearing out these houses is that supposedly we have, a, you know, everything's out of control. You know, we got um, we got all this high murder rate, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And this is all new. And violence is new in Baltimore. However, if you look at the murder rates from 1989 to around 1999, you'll find that every year they had murder rates over 300. Okay, now, if somebody can convince you that they can make you safe, you will give up your freedom, but they got to first convince you that they can make you safe. You know, the National Guard cannot solve um, the drug dealing uh, problem in Baltimore City. Okay, they're not. <laughs> I was in the National Guard. Okay, I commanded the National Guard unit. They're not suited to do that type of work. Okay, so let's stop calling for martial law in Baltimore City for people. You know, the vast majority, uh, a small minority of people that are committing these heinous crimes and are selling this product. Because all black men aren't killing each other. I know we keep saying we need to stop killing each other. All black men aren't killing each other. Okay? Let's get that Let's get that out of the way, too. Most black men walking around the street right now don't even have a gun in his pocket to kill nobody. Okay? And the people that do have those guns, and um, <clears throat> they have them for a reason. They're called a tool on the streets. And you cannot operate a drug cartel in Baltimore City or in Mexico or in Colombia without a gun. So with, with the drugs uh, uh, come the guns. Okay, so we need to come up with effective ways to fight crime, and there are effective ways that have been proven, and I'll go over those as well, because what happens when we come up with a crime fighting program, it's really the same dumb ideas, only more of it. More police, you know, which don't work, because if people are unemployed and they're in these desperate communities, because a lot of the murders occur in places where there's higher unemployment. It falls in unemployment rate, by the way. And in most middle-class or affluent black neighborhoods, murder is non-existent, okay? And, and, uh, or, or consistent with, with or lower than in white communities, okay? So it's definitely linked to poverty. 
And we need to understand that. It's not genetics. That's stupidity. It says linked to uh, poverty. All right, in a lot of cases. Nobody's saying that you got to commit a murder because you're poor. But a lot of cases, when you're in these drug gangs and somebody, you know, tell you you got to do what you got to do, if you don't do it, you might be find yourself in a violation of these rules. And you might get yourself, you know, taken out. So um, let's find out, first of all, as I said, and, and Jason, we're going to be um, putting on a clip real quick. And let's find out, first of all, um, if we can trust the authorities, you know, and how do these drugs get into our city? I mean, this stuff doesn't just happen by accident or osmosis. The drugs just float into our city. Like I said, those drugs don't grow <laughs> in Baltimore, but there's plenty being sold there. So how do they get there? Seems to me that there's some people, I'm seeing a black man on the paper, but there seems to be other people that are bringing these drugs in that aren't represented <laughs> in the criminal justice system. And maybe that's a part of what needs to, uh, to happen to get this, these things to stop. Um, so back in the day, they had a show called The, the FBI, okay? And uh, what you're about to hear, um, it's, it's going it's to be Fran, Fred Hampton's voice, by the way. And uh, the actors that they, that they cite aren't going to be a part of this. This is going to be a real person. It's Fred Hampton's real voice. And um, so what we're going to do is, uh, um, hold on, hold on. Uh, we're going to play the FBI in living color, 24. The FBI in living color. Next, the FBI in color. You say white power to white. Brown power to brown. Yellow power to yellow people. Black power to black people. He say, now, I'm not going to die on no airplane. Or he say, no. I'm not going to die sleeping on no ice. They say, no. He said, I'm going to die for the people because I'm going to live for the people. They say, right on. He said, I'm going to live for the people because I love the people. They say, right on. He said, I love the people. Why? And they say, because we're high on the people because we're high on the people. And that was Fred Hampton. When you saw this, this was 21 years old. It was unbelievable. You could not not be moved by Fred Hampton. The Ford Motor Company presents the FBI. Quinn Martin, Warner Brothers production. Starring Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Also starring Philip Abbott. Stephen Brooks. With guest stars, Telly Savalas, Susan Strasberg, Robert Duvall, Robert Drivers. Special guest star, Walter Pigeon. And Celeste Holm as Flo Clemente. Tonight's episode, The Executioners, Part 1. Okay. Now, the FBI was a series that everybody of a certain age knows about. Okay, my father maybe watched that junk when I was a kid. Okay? And it was basically a propaganda tool of the FBI, you know, to try to convince people that they never did anything bad or wrong. Now, J. Edgar Hoover's never on that show, but he was <laughs> involved in a lot of uh, notorious acts that, you know, it beginning with the deportation of Marcus Garvey. So he started early. And uh, he was actually the FBI, the head of the FBI for life, okay, because they had so much dirt on the presidents. They were afraid to deal with him. So he actually, in some cases, had more, more authority than the presidents to um, spy on people, okay, and do all kinds of things. And uh, the um, this common knowledge that the FBI had a part in Fred Hampton's murder. Fred Hampton was the... Uh, the um, Illinois chapter leader of the of the Black Panther Party um, back in the uh, oh god back in the sixties about the time that that show came on, out uh, matter of fact that show aired from nineteen sixty five to nineteen seventy four with the final episode Fred Hampton during that time uh, was killed in nineteen sixty nine okay and uh, by the way the Black Panthers again. A lot of people think the Black Panthers just formed to hate on white people. That's not true. There were white people in the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers, at their, at their heyday, they had uh, they fed 300 uh, poor people a day. Okay? So they did a lot of good things within the community. And Fred Hampton, he was only 20 years old when they gave him that job as um, as the because uh, he was a youth worker in the NAACP. And uh, he was so effective. He could communicate with anybody, with college students. He could communicate with poor whites and he could unite people, you know, to against oppression because oppression is not just on poor blacks. 
a lot of uh, poor whites don't realize it, but they're being oppressed too by, in a lot of cases by the corporatocracy. You know, you got people that are greedy beyond measure, and there's nothing that's going to satiate their appetites for greed and control and power. And um, that is a threat to democracy, actually. And a lot of people don't realize that. So, um, uh, J. Edgar Hoover saw the, the um, Black Panthers as a threat, and um, they targeted the Black Panthers. Um, uh, and for surveillance, and they they actually broke into one of their pantries and, and threw out cereal and all kinds of crazy stuff, and arrested Fred Hampton for um, stealing some five hundred um, five hundred uh, popsicle sticks or something something ridiculous. And but the people were able to get him out. And that speech you heard was what he said when he came out of jail. Some white lawyers from the South came up to help him get him out of jail. So like I said, there are good white people, and I have nothing against them. White folks, per se, because I know there's good ones, and there's bad, there's bad black people, and there's good black people. But um, I do have a problem with white supremacy, as any any person, any person should that that loves justice and uh, freedom for all people. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to find out how Fred Hampton died at 21. Very charismatic and an individual. Um, and uh, Jason. 25, yeah. Let's find out how he died. He didn't die of natural causes, by the way. But what we uncovered was that the FBI, that the FBI had obtained a floor plan of Fred Hampton's apartment. That floor plan was complete with all the furniture, including the bedroom where Hampton and Johnson slept and a rectangle showing the bed. And it turned out that this FBI informant, William O'Neill, and his control took that floor plan and gave it to Hanrahan's raiders before the raid so that they came in knowing the layout, knowing where Fred would be sleeping. And when we looked at the directions of the bullets in fact they converged on the bed where fred hampton was sleeping that morning as i recall men a lot of the bullets were shot from the floor below as well as they were no they were most they were the front door and the back door and then they took the one of the machine gun and stitched the wall in the front and that went through all of the bedrooms in, in the apartment and the the role of the fbi and of COINTELPRO, uh the uh the fbi's uh massive program against dissidents uh, in the united states how did you you uh, uncover that as well? Well, first there was a burglary at the Media Pennsylvania FBI office and with some draft dodgers uncovered that there was this program. Yeah, <laughs> it was more than, you know, th that simple. It was some some draft dodgers, and I and I see you up there, Ernest, but just give me a minute so we can have an intelligent conversation with, 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 the, uh, with the other people that may not be abreast of this information. I know you know it. Um, <laughs> these these draft dodgers that actually exposed uh, Cointel Pro. What they were, they were white folks that were active in uh, civil rights and all these type of movements. And um, what they were being followed by the FBI, and um, they knew that they couldn't prove the FBI was spying on U.S. citizens that weren't committing crimes. So what they did, they said, you know, screw it, let's just break into the office <laughs> and um, uh, you know steal steal their documents. You know, because we know they communicate among their branches. So. That's what they did. One of them went to school to be a locksmith. He learned how to do locksmithing. They, they had a very elaborate plan. The woman went in with a disguise on. She was all made up and everything. And and uh, she was doing she was pretending to be doing an interview with the FBI, you know, and and um, they believed it. She was able to case the joint, find out where their files were and everything else, walk through to pretend like she was lost, trying to get, find a way out. But all the time she was surveilling the FBI's office to figure out where everything was at was located. And uh, so they finally did decide to do the heistest, the heist um, during the Fraser uh, Foreman fight, you know, as an additional um, uh, diversion. And they, they they found out about COINTEL, the FBI didn't put his information out. They turned the information into the Washington Post. And J. Edgar Hoover told the Washington Post, you can't release this. It's national security, all kind of nonsense. And they said, it's not our job to stop you from being embarrassed. <laughs> it's our job to form public. So they released the documents. And... Uh, and so there was that, they launched a big um, probe about the FBI uh, spying on uh, government uh, citizens. Now, the FBI also tried to uh, get, um, around that same time, the FBI uh, also tried to get um, Martin Luther King to commit suicide. They sent a suicide letter, by the way, and um, uh, of uh, Dr. King advising him to commit suicide. So, Jason, what I want you to do, okay, got it? All right, let's do it. He asked me a question. Uh, if I can interrupt, that was taken by Dr. King to mean a suggestion for suicide, was it not? That's our understanding, Senator. 
This is a senator here, and that's Chris Mondale. The and the answer was, it was intended, and it was taken as an effort by the King family and the King associates, like uh, Andy Young, to get him to commit suicide. Um, Hoover hated King. Um, J. Edgar Hoover hated King. A. Hoover had a negative view of what were then called Negroes. Indeed, on the very afternoon of King's I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C., in the bowels of the FBI's office, they resolved to destroy Martin Luther King. Okay, so there was a very vigorous plan against black leadership in the 60s because that was a very revolutionary period. You know, we, we talk about, you know, you know how violent you are now. They had riots that 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 made that um, Freddie Gray riot look like a joke back in the, in the day. They would have numerous riots, you know, back in the day to try because black people were trying to secure their rights, and they were just fed up. You had people come back from wars and stuff, fighting for this country, and they still weren't treated treat with human rights and human dignity. Okay, let's bring Ernest up real quick. Ernest. Yeah. Yes, sir. Black black people, our people, don't understand the history of this country. Uh, Richard Nixon, in 1970, had a problem with black people. He hated we'll cover black that. people. We're going to cover that, but go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we, you're right. He hated black people. <laughs> you're absolutely right. He's, and, we're and, we're and and he hated two groups of people. He hated those hippies that was yep. uh, uh, protesting, I agree. protesting against mm. the Vietnamese war. We'll cover that. Go ahead. And, 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 and hated black people. So what he did... He started this war. Uh, 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 he allowed heroin to come into the black community, and then they they attacked the black community, uh, the people that they wanted to get rid of. Yeah, uh, Ehrlichman admitted to that actually that they actually had a plan to destabilize um, the leadership of the black community using right, the war on with drugs. Right, but this war on drugs. Right, exactly. Because because Nixon thought said that black people were like monkeys. Monk is it, and he hated him also. And he allowed Herman to come in. But then you had Iran Contra. You had, you had, right. uh, we'll cover that too. Iran <laughs> Contra yeah. with the, uh, George Herbert Rick Walker Ross. Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Freeway Rick Ross. Huh? Freeway Rick Ross. That was used yeah, by yeah, Freeway CIA. Rick Ross. But he didn't bring the, he didn't bring the drugs in. No, he didn't. Manessas, no, Manessas and, and Danello. Right. They, the two guys from Nicaragua absolutely. put the drugs in. But we'll but explain that, too. Ronald Reagan, who also thought black people were monkeys, he couldn't stand to see black people, apes, in suits, and shoes. Ronald Reagan. Both of these people were Republicans. But they allowed cocaine to come into this country and showed them how to make crack cocaine. And then they had this war on drugs. Now... Okay. All right, Ernest. Let's let's close. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go right to what you're saying. But go, go ahead and close. Let me just close let me close with yes, this. Yes, sir. They going down the, the, the one major drug unit that's bringing cocaine and heroin into the United States is the Casa Nostra in Italy, and a, a another Italy uh, 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 mafia groups that live up in the mountains. They deal in. Tons and tons of cocaine that go through airports and things like that, but you don't you don't see the U.S. military. You got heroin coming out of Myanmar, yeah, Myanmar, and we are not winning the war on drugs. They're not winning the want to try to win the war on drugs because they're using drug money to fund these wars all over the the world. And we're sacrificial. Okay, so. Okay, thank you, Ernest, for calling that. Um, so let's let's go with um, why did Nixon start the war on drugs, uh, Jason? And then not want to immediately end this nonsense political war on drugs. This prohibition that has proven to be disastrous in its effect, but it turns out it was done to be a war on black people and liberals, which who they called hippies back then. Now, originally they were trying to use more of the legislation of heroin against blacks, but it turns out later they were like, oh, blacks smoke marijuana just like whites do. Okay, let's arrest them for that. And they arrested them at four times the rate of whites, even though they smoke at the same rate. The whole point was to make sure 
that they can arrest their political enemies. How could you know that and still be in favor of the war on drugs? Well, uh, Ehrlichman goes on. He says, we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Now, I'm going to show you how they're still doing that in a second. But when asked about whether he and Dick Nixon intended to do that, he said, quote, did we know we were lying about drugs? Of course we did. Yeah, um, the country had no significant um, problem with drugs. No significant. They said had a problem with drugs back then, but not when Nixon lost the war on drugs. It actually exacerbated the problem, and they skyrocketed as far as drug use. It, it, it was it's counterintuitive, but it did the exact opposite effect. It made the drugs more valuable. It made people more interested in selling them, especially when the crack epidemic hit. Everybody was making money back then. Let's bring uh, uh, Rashid up. Hey, hey Tyrone, uh, my older brother, he was 26 years old at, at the time. In fact, today's the anniversary of his assassination. Uh, he was shot by Cobb County and Marietta County, Georgia police, right, right, right outside Atlanta, August 26, 1977. Wow. And his only crime was being, uh, being uh, affiliated with the Black Power Movement. He was a Black Panther Party. Right. And they they shot my brother 83 times with machine guns. The Black Panthers as an organization, oh my God, were targeted by the FBI. And that was one of, he made that, Hoover made that his top priority mission. And uh, by the way, the Black Panthers were formed to fight against Polish brutality. And uh, they were were called, when they were formed, they were called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And uh, there was a large amount of of Polish brutality in uh, Los Angeles about about that time. And Huey Newton, who was a law student, understood that you had to write the bare arms in California at the time. But they drew so much attention to themselves, you know, from the FBI and everybody else, especially when they watched you to the state house up in California, well, well, that they outlawed well, guns carrying. But go ahead, well, I'm sorry. Well, remember, Tyrone, that most uh, of the Black Panther Party members and the members of the Black Power Movement movement. What was uh was college students? Absolutely, Newton, Bobby Seale, H. Rod Brown. That's the danger of educating uh, our people, you know. But go ahead. That's why they knew that in slavery. That they. That's why I was getting a lot of teach uh, slaves how to read. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Right, uh, and my brother, uh, uh, remember the uh, the Ali George Foreman fight, the rum on the jungle. Right. Uh, Those my bad fights was, back then. Them guys went straight to the hospital for the ring. <laughs> right, my brother. Right, when when I leave training camp, because at that time my cousin Larry Holmes was my homily sparring partner. Okay, my bro- brother. I'm from Eastern Pennsylvania. I leave training camp with 45, and my bro- bro- brother used to take me up there. Right, and he he became close with Don King and them, and they uh-huh. took my bro- brother to Africa when they went to Africa as part of his entourage. Boxing is an excellent sport. You know, excellent sport teaches a lot of things: self defense, physical fitness, and everything else. Um, right, that, thanks for your time. Okay? All right, sir. Thank you for calling in. Call in next week. Right. All right, let's let's go to Gene. Go ahead, Gene. Can you hear me, Tyrone? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Okay, good. Yeah, I was just going to mention that you know, young man mentioned you know the the, uh, the student groups and they were the the weathermen, the SDS student on right, oh, right, sorry, mm-hmm. these uh, students for a democratic society, and then. Uh, H. Rap Brown and them, they were uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And uh, I got out of the service in 68 and to spend a little Murray time. Murray was a SNCC, too. He was a leader of SNCC, too, in D.C. So oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. So um, that's okay. And then, you know, I spent a little time in, in uh, Oakland in 1968, you know, and sort of Black Panthers, you know, firsthand. But the mistake the Black Panthers Party uh, did, what the mistake they made was they coined the term, remember, pigs. And then and then and then they used the term kill kill the pig. Oh yeah, you don't and, <laughs> right. So and then what happened was when the white kids start saying it, that's when the uh, the power structure came down on on the white student movement. And remember uh, um, um, the weathermen, they were bombers. They were right, bombers. Right. They act. They literally bombed. Police. They were terrorists. <laughs> yeah. And they were terrorists, right? And, white but, people. Um, but anyway, um, but none of them ever went to ever went to jail for no. And, and Malcolm X said that that people like that um, would, if black people actually stood up for their rights, that we're not taking right. some more. He said that white people would actually join us more. More yeah. white people would join us than the, white people yeah, the, would these wishy-washy people that yeah. 
Well, that, well that's, why they kill Fred, that's why they killed Fred right. Hampton, because he Absolutely. was organized all those all those groups, and Khalid, and including the some of some of the um, uh, the, the more ra- radical uh, right wing uh, uh, people out of Indiana, you know, who who, who were associated with the Klan, etc. So he was very dangerous, and they had to kill him. Yeah. The thing that I remember, the yeah, most because was, hold on, hold on, Gene, because the FBI put out a memo. That they had to stop a black messiah from rising. Somebody yeah, that can unite they, the people. There you go. Go that's who, and that's who Fred Hampton was. Uh, the, a great, a great uh, documentary is the, um, the Vanguard of the Revolution, and that's on uh, YouTube. Anybody can see it on YouTube. Vanguard of the Revolution, and you know the only other thing, man, you you know stay on top of it because this is a missing part of our history. It's, it's intentional, intentionally. Well, uh, I look at it this way. You know, my main mission right now is trying to get the housing that was taken. <laughs> From our people and, and trying to you know try to uh, make it affordable housing housing program, and our and people uh, we got first convince our people that they deserve yeah. decent housing, yeah, and they deserve it. They we think that we got what we deserve, but no, a lot of this stuff, a lot of this stuff had complicity from our government where we're paying taxes. Yeah. And uh, we're yeah. going to talk about the CIA's complicity in the drug oh, yeah. war in a minute. And if anybody's really interested, J. Edgar Hoover, go back to A. Mitchell Palmer, who was the head of the. Um, the uh, Justice Department Bureau of Investigation back in 1912, and that's who Mark, who kicked Mark, actually kicked Marcus Garvey out of the country because they, at the time, they, all, you know, we had also a immigrant. Well, you ain't got to go back that far. The FBI has leaked. Um, people in the FBI have leaked documents saying that the FBI is spying on for these young folks that think oh, that yeah. the stuff is over. Yeah. They're spying on Black Lives Matter people. Yeah, uh, but it was because they call. Them, let me finish. They call them. Black identity extremists, and they're right. spying on Black Lives Matter people to see if they're going to influence people to kill the police. To an average black person, that sounds absurd, but yeah. to a white person, it sounds reasonable. Now, um, as a matter of fact, the guy that killed uh, uh, Trayvon Martin, what's his name, Zimmerman? When he was trying to sell his gun, he said he was going to get the proceeds to help fight Black Ma- Lives Matter mm-hmm. violence against the police. That's so ridiculous to black people to hear that. Yeah, there's no Black Lives Matter being um, uh, violence being planned against the police, mm-hmm. and everybody and knows up, that. Like you know, it, it, even community. after Nixon left, it was uh, I can't forget what was the president's name. But anyway, you know, but it, but even Jimmy, it was Jimmy Carter who uh, got they us. They call into that Cointel Pro 2.0, by the way. Yeah, but it was Jimmy Carter who got us into Afghanistan and right. the legacy of his, of, our, of Nixon. But a lot of our a lot of our. Um, Heroin has come from Afghanistan now. Yes, sir. Yeah, and so tribe. just like in Vietnam, when we were in yeah. Vietnam, a lot of the heroin, the heroin was coming I, from there. I was in I was in Thailand, and and all the marijuana that came into Southeast Asia came out of Laos. Right, when we were yeah. fighting over there. So yeah, it came, yeah. Out, came out over Laos, and then mm-hmm. the, of course. The so it's amazing how where we have these wars, where we have these wars like uh, the Nicaraguan Congress and mm-hmm. and Afghanistan and Vietnam, we get our drugs from the same places. Yep. <laughs> all right, man. Have a good all right. Quite a coincidence. Okay, so Jay's no cookie calls. You gonna have to bear with me. Um, we're gonna talk about the CIA uh, and their complicity in the drug war. Um, so, um, and this was highlighted by Gary Webb. Okay, go ahead. Thanks. Good. What do you think about the rapper Rick Ross taking on your persona? He's never sold drugs. He's never been involved with any type of crime. You know, he was a college That's boy, a played Rick football, from what I understand. Not and he was a prison one. guard, you know. And, 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 you know, to be a prison guard, your record has Not to be rapper. spotless, you know. So uh, he's, he's definitely created a fraud and, and uh, um, you know, he's perpetrating a lot. What role did the U.S. government play in bringing crack cocaine into L.A.'s poor black neighborhoods? The government needed this money to fight this war over in Nicaragua against the Sandinistas. Russia had gave the Sandinistas $100 million to fight with. Congress had cut off all the money from the, the Contras. So now the Sandinistas had an advantage. Reagan and Bush had made the Contras their pet peeve. They felt that if Russia took over Nicaragua, they would be too close to America. They would be in our backyard. I believe that they felt it was more valuable to sacrifice a particular sector, sector of America and a race of people in America in order to save the whole country. Now, and I believe that. I believe that that um, Reagan was such a cold warrior and such against, so much against uh, poverty that he would quite easily sacrifice black people to, you know, to fight communism in uh, our hemisphere, which uh, uh, Nick Raw was in Central America, right below Mexico. So, yeah, that, and, and matter of fact, I know, you know, I'm retired from the um, Army Reserve, and I know people that were, you know, 
a master sergeant who told me he was in that area about that time. And he can pretty much vouch for some of the stuff that came out in uh, Gary Webb's article in uh, um, the Mercury uh, News about what started this whole thing. Um, it was published in 1996 um, about um, the, the Negro Contras. And Gary Webb went through a whole lot of stuff. He um, he lost his job behind that. They put him, to, you know, and he would never apologize for it because he did his research. He posted all his documents on the, on the Internet. And um, he even went to Nicaragua to, to, to find out for sure if this stuff was going on. And, um, you know, and he had and they, they were actually people in court for drug uh, for drug distribution or whatever that the CIA actually blocked from testifying, saying it was a matter of uh, national security. So don't think this is all conspiracy theory, because um, a lot of the evidence surrounding it has been put right put online where you can read it for yourself. So and a lot of people aren't aware of this stuff, but I'm just saying this to say most people, I'm sure most people in the FBI, just like the police department, are, are, are um, honorable people and they would die for their country. Um, the CIA the same way. I feel that most CIA, I knew a few um, CIA when I was in the reserves and stuff. I, I met people that worked for the, both the FBI and the CIA. And I'm sure most of them, black and white, would, would, you know, would die for their country if it was necessary. What I'm talking about is those guys that are on the fringes that are... Um, destroying our, our human rights and our rights as people to live in, a, in the pursuit of happiness that we all are guaranteed by, by those documents that uh, give us the rights that we possess. But like I said, if somebody convince you, can convince you that they will make you safe, you will give up all your rights. You will give up all your freedom. But they got to first convince you that it will make you safe. That's why people call for the National Guard and martial law and all that. They can't do anything about the problem. Because I spend time in these neighborhoods. I mean, I do AC systems and stuff. I can sit there for a whole hour. I don't see any bullets whizzing past my head. You'd be very bored if you sat in some of these neighborhoods where a lot of this violence takes, takes place. So, no, more policing is not the solution, okay? The things that have been shown to work are, um, you know, jobs and jobs training to reduce violent crime. Believe it or not, those are the things that have been shown to work. So what we need to do is we need to start <laughs> have job works program at least 10 weeks in the summer. At least 10 weeks, not five weeks like they do now. And every kid that wants one in these impoverished communities should be able to get one. That wasn't the case last year when they had to turn away 4,600 kids. Okay? And um, matter of fact, job work should take place all year round. You get people off the streets and, and, and they can – a jobs program is a mentoring program. Okay? You get around responsible adults and you learn responsibility. You learn to come to work on time. You learn you got to dress a certain way, et cetera. So the best thing you can do for a kid – is to give him a summer job. <laughs> I mean, yeah, rec centers are nice, but give the kids a summer job. It'll make them a better person. They, you know, rec centers could possibly do a more rounded person. And because um, <coughs> we're not all going to be basketball stars, but everybody can win in the game of life if they have the proper training and they stay out of trouble, you know, in most cases. In most cases, not all. Um, but um, a lot of people that have their affirmative action jobs and all that, they don't. They think there's something wrong with these people because affirmative action is over people. This generation don't have affirmative action that you enjoy um, because of affirmative action uh, people like affirmative action Negroes like uh, Clarence Thomas, who never had a job that he didn't get because he was black, including Supreme Court justice, felt that racism was over. So they ended the affirmative action for the most part in this country through Supreme Court rulings. OK, so you actually have more opportunities than a lot of these kids out here now, believe it or not. And uh, because you've done no research, you don't know that. Okay, yeah. And I see I see the board's almost full. So what are we going to do? Um, oh, it's called. So um, let's, let's bring on uh, uh, Eric. Eric? Hello, Eric. Okay, let's bring Mark C. Hey, Tyrone, how you doing, man? Yes, sir. How you doing? Hey, man, it's always good to, to hear you, man. I, you know, I'm so glad that your show comes on at the way that it does, you know, um, with, with Sister and Zinger and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Leo. Yeah, they were at the hearing. <laughs> these are productive uh -huh. people in our community. They they go to these, these hearings, and they represent That's their right. people. And, 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 you know, Tyrone, I want to say this because, you know, it really upsets me, man, that... Um, 
we got, and you talked about this just now, we got, it's not back in the day, we got 1,500 young people homeless tonight in this city. You know, we got, uh, like you say, the crack epidemic um, did something. And it I devastated our community. Matter of fact, during the crack epidemic, mm-hmm. uh, the, during the crack epidemic in 1987, that was the first year that out-of-wedlock births topped wedlock births. Before then, in the 60s, around 1963, Wedlock births were comparable to, we had the same rate as white people right, in 1960. A lot of people don't know that. So this doesn't go back to slavery. It goes back to um, the war on um, poverty. You had the welfare. You can't have a man in the house to get welfare and, and medical care and all this stuff. And it goes, and the crack epidemic was actually the nail and the coffin because nobody wanted a crack here for a wife. You know what I'm saying? And vice versa. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, and, and Tyrone, um, where are, this, is, this, is my, this is what I'm upset about. You had the hearing in there. My fat clock had, had been with you. Miss Pugh uh, was going to give you a pilot program to help these young people, to train them, to, to have people own houses and all this kind of stuff. And we got young people in all kinds of trouble, uh, uh, the squeezy kids, you know, and all them hurting people, this, that, and the other. Well, and there's no sense of urgency for your program. Well, I, I see that the Swedish kids, and, and you're right. I look at the I look at those houses as an economic engine. Those vacant houses, the vacant houses of today are the affordable houses of tomorrow. Okay, and those, that's an economic engine for our our folks. If we can uh, restore those houses, I saw one thing where they were talking about rebuilding East Baltimore. They're going to spend five hundred million dollars to restore yes, to to build five hundred houses. We could do five. We could do five thousand houses with our program, not five hundred. You know. The way we're trying to do it, so well, those programs are more expensive, up, but it enriches the corporate stockage. Well, up, the holdup is that we're enriching, and I spoke, I spoke about unfettered capitalism. In a lot of cases, if you look at the last ten years or so, there's nothing major that's been built in Baltimore without the help of your tax dollars. You know what I'm saying? Right. So we have a lot of corporate welfare. We want to give money to developers, but we don't want to help uh, wow. small minority uh, companies uh, rebuild these, this housing that was taken from us during the housing scandal. And all the subprime mortgages that were targeted to the black community. Um, and you put your money where your mouth is, man. People don't say that. We pay for our show. You put your money well, where your mouth is. If they want this show to stay on, they better start contributing. <laughs> because I don't know how, how long I'm going to do this, but uh, I do want to. Um, it's sad. It's I, I, I do want. Let me, let me finish, Mark. Mark, Mark, let me finish. Yeah. I do. Yeah. The purpose of the show is to show people that we are deserving of fair housing, of jobs, and, yeah. and that this stuff works to reduce crime and violence in the city. And we're, yeah. they're thinking that, a lot of us think, white and black, that it's something genetically wrong with us. But when you find, when you look at things like prohibition of alcohol, when you had murders over alcohol territory back in the day, if you ever saw the movie, yeah. the, the TV show, The Untouchables, they highlight a lot of that stuff. Very I violent. I that with my dad. Yeah, very violent show, right? They had machine guns, Tommy guns, and everything. Gun right. each other down. White criminals gun each other down the streets right. over illegal alcohol. Right. Now, nobody said that something wrong with white people. They said, look, alcohol is illegal. That's why we have these damn murders. And they stopped it. They, they right. made murders legal. And murders went down dramatically after they legalized alcohol during the Depression. Yes, sir. So, actually, the, the drug prohibition works in the same way to, to uh, increase the murder rate. If you've done any studying, you would know that. But the people for, I guess, the people that are coming up with these crime plans have no freaking idea of what stops crime. I heard that, man. It's yeah. sad, man, because out young people are dying on these streets, and there's no sense of urgency at the top of City Hall to put your, your, um, your plan into action, which would help thousands of our young people, man. And I'm, I'm pissed off about that. And I'm gonna. Well, go ahead and close. I got a lot of callers. Um, I got a lot of callers. Sir. I'm just asking, what can we do? What can we do, Tyrone, to put pressure on somebody to put this plan into action? Well, we need to make it make it known that uh, that first of all, these houses were were taken by scandalous measures from our. You know, like I said, the water bill controversy. You had the uh, the subprime mortgage thing, where black people were given subprime mortgages when they qualify for better mortgages. More expensive mortgages, and they were enticed to take these, uh, pig, use their house for a piggy ba- bank. People that own their house for years and generations. So all we're saying is that take these houses, you know, and sell them for a dollar to the citizen. 
Matter of fact, don't even let us do any construction until we sell a whole block. Let's do them a block at a time. And, All right, uh, thank you, Tyrone. And look, yeah. what happened to the seven hundred uh, million that they got to tear down the houses and stuff? And I listen off air, man. You be blessed, and I'm glad you on, bro. Yeah, well, they took the seven hundred million. Um, didn't go to tear down houses. What? All right, thank I'm you, sir. Listening. They called it. Yeah, no, what no, happened no, was ninety four million no, was used to uh, was supposed to be used to tear down houses. Only ninety four million used to tear down houses, and then. Uh, the other six hundred million was supposed to be for uh, giveaways to uh, developers. So it's just a, um, feeding at the public control. It's your tax dollars, and all we're asking is that for a change, let's help the working class citizen. Okay, let's sell this house for a dollar, give out one percent interest loans, restore them, and um, we have already have thirty seven contracts lined up to want to do this, and we can do whole blocks at a time. And, and uh, we figure we put a general contract in every house, we get a block done in three months. Totally got out the house, you know, restore them. Uh, put AC in them. We're talking about $100,000 for a house. At 1% interest, you're talking about a $300 a month uh, renovation mortgage. Okay, so let's bring up um, uh, Reverend Ray. Go ahead, Reverend Ray. Yes, good morning, Brother Tyrone. Let me yeah. congratulate you for your tireless effort in work, and I support you 100%. Tell you right As now, you sir. know, I'm working with the one church, one corner, one safety house. I already got one. I bought a house up here in the Poppy Grove community. Right where I'm using this as a safety house for kids because you don't have recs, you don't have no programs. You was at the Youth Opportunity uh, Program last week with me who are training young dropouts and uh, also youth at risk. My concern is, is that I'm working with uh, a large group of ma major churches, including New Shallow, and I'm getting ready to start a safety house there. They don't have outreach programs. That's why I'm, I like what you're doing. I support what you're doing. And I think even tonight, uh, after after American Men, just in case those who might not know, we will be marching tonight at 6 o'clock at 2118 Madison Avenue at St. Martin's Church. We're trying to start a movement in our communities where black African-American men are going into these neighborhoods where kids are hanging out with hopelessness, and we're trying to bring inspiration. And after the march, I want to open up a safety house in each neighborhood where the neighborhood will become the owner of that house. And the churches will put up their collateral to make sure these you off the corner into a safety house. They're not coming into an established church. It's a culture shop. They need an intermediary set up where they can play ping pong, recreation, and do computer literacy. But the church and the neighborhood will have ownership. That's why I'm supporting you to make that happen throughout the whole damn city. And I want to support you to, in helping that happen. I've already laid the groundwork with the churches behind me. They support the one church, one corner, one safety house theory. And we can and we can clean up the drugs and the violence and give our youth somewhere to go, uh, some uh, home away from home. And I appreciate your support about this. And City Hall and Jack Young and the governor. We want to bring Lottie Dottie, as Larry Young say, everybody involved with this movement. Okay, Reverend, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate all the work you've done in the community. Um, we want to close so we can go to some other folks, please. A lot of people right. are trying to call in. I'll see you later on the day at my place. All right, sir. Thank you for calling okay. in. Okay, so <clears throat> there are several ways to reduce crime that have been proven. And uh, one of them is uh, the use and expansion of drug courts. Okay. We need to get, and also, you know, they're talking about ju judge participating in, in uh, these drug courts. And they've been, sh they've been shown to lower relapse time. And uh, and the addicts commit fewer crimes when they're associated with these drug courts where the judge um, controls what the addict does in regards to his treatment. And we need to get rid of these damn methadone clinics. Okay, because all it does is keep you. It just makes the government the, the uh, drug dealer. It's just keep you keep you dependent. We need to get people off drugs completely. Um, another another thing that was shown to help was ex offenders helping ex offenders find uh, secure a a uh, a secure living wage. And uh, a study showed a five year study showed that uh, addicts that made ten dollars an hour we're half as likely to go back to jail than addicts that made $7 an hour. So the more money you make as an addict, I mean, not addicts, but um, ex-offenders. So the more money you made as an ex-offender, the less likely you were going to return back to jail from the study, this five-year study. Show that. Um, also, short, um, uh, getting stable, connecting uh, ex-offenders to stable housing. 
actually helps reduce crime. You know, uh, that was another thing that they found out at the five-year study. And uh, some, some other things, youth work projects, things of that nature, also show were shown and proven to reduce crime. But we don't seem to be trying these things. We want to use the police. We want to think the police can solve all our problems, you know, because we watch shows like the FBI, and we're taught and brainwashed to believe that the solution is every a terrible problem is the police. Now, even every police commissioner, I, I believe, maybe not not this one, but just about every police commissioner, and he will agree, this one will agree, will tell you that the police alone cannot solve this problem. So, and just about every commissioner that came aboard in Baltimore has said that, and we still don't want to believe it. We still believe that the remedy is more police, you know, more jails. And uh, man's going to get out of jail one day, and you're going to have to deal with him. Okay, let's bring um, Eric. He's waiting a long time. Go ahead, Eric. Good morning, brother. Tyrell. How you doing? All right, sir. How you doing? All right. I'm like you. I'm an advocate. Um, history. History buff. And so my thing is, in light of all the information that you shared to the listeners who didn't know about what was going on with the government and the FBI. And the CIA. How do they <laughs> the CIA. point the finger at our people and <laughs> our people for all the woes in the situation of our community. Well, they weren't doing it for free, Eric. Eric, they weren't doing it for free. We paid our tax dollars for them to do that to us. Right. Okay, so we're paying taxes for them to, to conspire against our community. Right. And, uh, and what I'm saying is that when people say, well, we don't need to worry about, the, you know, white people, we do it by ourselves. We didn't get into the situation by ourselves. Okay? So that's kind of insane. And you're not going right. to, um, and like I said, even um, the great Elijah Muhammad, one of two states, from the from the United States, he knew that that didn't come from thin air. He had to ask the United States government for that in order to get it. And so, so I want to do the citizens know that that. that but you pay taxes uh, too. Go ahead. All right. Do the citizens know that the, the biggest seizure of cocaine ever that just happened up there in Philadelphia, that boat was actually owned by J.P. Morgan Chase. Yeah, and uh, Wells Fargo has been shown to uh, be complicit in, in money laundering too. Right. So these banks, and, these don't think the corporate is not connected to the drug trade. Right. There are people and wearing suits that are just as big of criminals as the people out in the streets that and, are criminals. And before that, before that, one of the another big boat that was seized belonged to one of the Republican senators. Right. I mean, and so they don't talk about that, or and they don't go to jail. Don't know about that, right? All right. I'm thinking it burns me up that our people keep blaming black people, black people, right. black people for our problems. Right, because they've been brainwashed to believe that. And, and we are, to a degree, yes, we are. We do have to have right. personal responsibility. But at the same time, we don't have, need to have our community assaulted by government right. officials. Now, with all of everything that she was talking about in reference to all the drugs and all that, you need somebody to sell it, right? Yeah. So what you do is you take a group of people, right? That are poor. make their living conditions hard where a lot of the men and yep. women is forced to participate in the sale of narcotics. Right. Because if, if it wasn't Freeway Rick Ross, they would have found somebody else. You know what I'm saying? There you go. Somebody on the same. Oh. But you'll find that a lot of people that commit these murders are in the lower rung of the economic scale. And people selling right. drugs the same. You know, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sorry, go ex -felon. ahead. Felon. I'm an ex-felon, as you, you talked about. I've done 20 years. However, um, I'm a productive member of society now. I have been for oh, God bless almost you. Eight, eight years now. And we're not and, condoning crime. Don't get it right. twisted. Yeah. Right. And if, so what I'm saying well, murder, is if, matter, if you commit a murder, you go to jail. Go ahead. I'm sorry. If you get a brother's and sister's job training, good job training. Right. For a, a living skill, wage. A skill, a living wage, because I tell that a lot works. of college kids, those degrees is enough of a piece of paper, but you right. have a skill. Yep. You have a trade. It works, people. Right. So I have a nephew right now that's up in Frostburg. I told him, you don't have to go to college and make a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars sure a don't. year. I know that for I'm a fact. I'm doing it now. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but know? see, Eric, people don't understand that that is the most effective. I've seen people turn their lives around, but usually right. when I've seen it, you, they were offered an alternative to selling, you know, to, to slinging or whatever, and they were given right. a living wage, and that's why they were able to do it. But people were not right. doing that look cute. They're doing it because they need to make money. Even if you got a cell phone, you got a bill. Everybody got bills. You know what I'm saying? And uh, if you're going to sell them, stop selling drugs, Okay. What are you going to put? What are you going to give them in place right. of that? You know, some platitudes? You know, I mean, come on. Because you're, you're this, be, get off the air. Yeah, your BS is going to ring hollow if you can't substitute that income for something else. 
and they they're gonna find that they can't believe you anymore if they when their stomach the middle stomach is hungry. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna get off the air. I've done twenty years in prison. I make over a hundred and fifty something thousand dollars a year. So it can be done. It can be done, absolutely. Nice and you're not the only one. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. And that's all we try to say. That's a very wise man there. He figured out a way where he didn't have to be um, used as a pawn for the criminal justice system. And uh, that's all we are as fodder for that. Okay, look, I got a few, I got a few, um, I got three minutes left. I got some callers. You're going to, you're going to have to, uh, one minute. Go ahead, Fred. One minute. Come on, sir. Let's go. Hello. Please shoot, Tyrone. Okay. What are, you, what are your comments? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying about how we need to do it, and your and your and your your program. I think it's excellent, man. But I like to Thank say, you. You, know, you need to keep stomping this message into our community that uh, it's a you know it's it's by design that we you know we we don't sell drugs because we're poor. I know a lot of guys that's in the game. They weren't poor. They right. Grew up poor. Okay. Okay, but a lot of them are, Fred, but a lot of them are. The vast majority of, of, uh, let let me finish, let me finish. Statistics show that the majority of of fluent black people have no, a murder rate no higher than the uh, white population, and in some cases lower. Go ahead. Well, that that may be true, but no community is going through what our community is going through. It is true. (laughs) It may be true, it is true. Okay. It's been substantiated. Let me finish. Let me finish. I don't put nothing out on the air. I haven't researched. Okay. Okay. I'm not just talking about my feelings about black people. I'm talking about facts. Go I'm ahead, sir. About feelings. I'm talking about go ahead, go ahead sir. Drugs. Well, I've all done. Have poverty. But I've done the research to no back up what I'm saying. Have no you? other community. Why is it that our community in every major city is gunning ourselves, gunning each other down like, like dogs, like flies? Why is that? That's the only community. All communities have. Well, like I said, during alcohol, let me finish. Them. Let me finish. During alcohol prohibition, you had white people shooting each other to death like flies. Look, okay, I'm going to move to the next caller. Thank you. Call me again next week, sir. Diane. Yeah, Tyrell, man, I'm going to give you the point because you're a strong black man. You know, when uh, in the 60s, my uncle was a palmer. He sent all these kids to college. He paid for our tuition. He said, I got right. more money than a lawyer, but people look at me like I'm crazy. Right. You know, when uh, Linda Bain Johnson said, I'm going to take that black man out of his house. And get a woman a monthly stipend from the government. You know, we got women's running the uh, government now. Take the black man out of the government and give it to the Hispanic. Then these people would all turn on themselves. I'm glad Jack Young got black men working now because you don't need government to go to work and uh, feed your family. My uncle used to clean toilets. He sent every one of his kids to college. He sent uh, even his nieces and well, nephews and all of them. Well, let me let me explain to you how the comments change. That you don't have shoe shines people no more. You got Swedish kids, all right. You don't have you don't have um you can't sell bottles for changes. Things that you used to do, the little hustles, you know, that you used to have, they don't exist anymore. The comments change a little bit, sir. So we gotta keep up with the times. Thanks for calling, call next week. Go ahead, Diane. Good good morning, Tyrone. How you doing? <laughs> good morning, um, Diane. Excellent show this morning. But um, I just want you to continue to pound in our head what you're talking about today. We didn't get like this because we wanted to get like this. Or by accident. No, it wasn't by no accident. Social engineering. No, when, when the guys came home, hooked on heroin, the family was still intact. Because you had the mother, grandmother, and auntie, and, and you know, and the When I was a kid, you know, Diane. served in the other war. Uh, Diane, Diane, uh-huh. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I knew all my, just about all my friends' fathers. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they lived in the homes, just like you said. Right. People at a certain age know that. Black people at a certain age know that. Mm-hmm. So, and I lived in the projects, by the way, uh, for, a while, for a time at Murphy Homes. At that time, you had to have a, a father there right. in the low rise to live in the Murphy Homes. But right. And and that's what I was saying. And, and when they put that crack cocaine, when you just brought that out today, they put that in there to bring the mothers and the grandmothers and auntie out of the household. So, who raised who? The children started raising themselves. So that's what you get the effect from what happened with the crack cocaine. And continue next week. I'll see you. I'll talk to you later. All right. Call back next week, Diane. Right. So that concludes another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show. Tune in next week and you'll learn more because you know you learn something every time you listen to me. And uh, yeah, let's, let's, keep it, let's keep it real. And uh, yeah, we, these problems are not insurmountable. We've been through worse. We've been through slavery. And yes, we do deserve um, housing. We do deserve health care. There's nothing genetically wrong with us. We've just been put in desperate situations where people have resorted to things like dr- drug slinging and 
and and uh, which comes with uh, gunplay and which comes with murder. Okay, but we're not the only community that exists like that. It happens in Colombia, it happens in Mexico, etc. So I would like to thank you all for your time and have a good day. See you next week. WOLB Baltimore and WERQ-FM HD3 Baltimore. Brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel.